Welcome into another School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined as always by Chris and Adam. We're here to talk this week about the disaster that was Brighton, breaking down a little bit of the Watford game at midweek. And then we have a special guest from the Cartilage Free Captain joining us a little bit later to talk about the Spurs match um, on, uh, I believe, Sunday it is. Uh, so without further ado, Chris, Adam, how are you guys doing today? Uh, well, I was doing okay until I woke up this morning and Adam sent me a message with who Everton had drawn in the next round of the League Cup. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Sad day. I don't want to play Leicester. I, I, I actually, like, in all complete honesty, I would have felt better about drawing, like, one of the Manchesters. Yeah, because yeah. Leicester will come out and actually try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'll give a damn is the thing. Oh, yeah. man, why you got to lead us off like that? <laughs> well, oh, we're about to I talk mean, about the bright matches. It's not going to get a lot better. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We could lead off with that, or we could just go right into Brighton, which we're going to do right now. Um, you know, I, it's just give a little quick breakdown. Everton collapsed. So, um, that happened. Um, and now we get into breaking it down a little bit. How much do you guys blame this on the club's mental, uh, fragility under the last, you know, three, four managers? And how much do you blame just the terrible, terrible, terrible VAR decision, uh, that was, or that happened on, um, on Saturday? I I, I kind of want to say like yes, both. <laughs> Two um, things can be true, right? Adam's favorite phrase. Uh, I mean, clearly Everton have incredible problems dealing with success, be it from two minutes to the next or two weeks to the next. But the VAR decision is absolutely appalling. I mean, Michael Keane. Just brushes against the guy. It's clearly inadvertent. It's he's going away from goal. But as as Adam has said to me privately many times, VAR is only good as the referees who are behind the cameras or behind Lee the television Mason. screen. Yeah, Lee Mason. Sorry, I, I know I, uh, I I stole your thunder there, but uh, Lee Mason. Sorry. Anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, that, that that's about it. I I think that. Uh, uh, if I if I had been an Everton player, I would have been fairly chagrined and upset by that call. I know that Michael Keane probably was. I think the official ruling was that he had brushed Neil Neil Mopé's foot, and if you watch back the replay from a certain angle, it it's it's very difficult to tell whether there was any contact at all. Um, Keane had his hand on Mopé's back, which like that's a pretty standard defending mechanism is to put your hand on the guy's number so you can guide him out of bounds or whatever the case may be. And I, I'm always, I, I typically try to be one who doesn't complain about the refereeing too much because you, you make your own bed and you have to lie in it. But I don't know what you guys think. I thought it was particularly egregious and it contributed to the downfall. Of course, if Everton deal with the game in other ways and play better, maybe it doesn't come to that. Yeah, and I mean well, the 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 catchphrase that you always hear with with VAR um, is is clear and obvious, right? Uh, not not the case with offsides calls, but with fouls, with red cards, with uh, things of that nature. Uh, you know, the the official is supposed to be looking for an error that is clear and obvious. And 
fuck. That is just, I mean, it doesn't even begin to broach the, uh, the territory of clear and obvious. So, uh, you know, I, I will, yes, um, that was absolutely awful. It's egregious. Um, it was, I believe the first, um, penalty that was not called on the pitch that was given by VAR, uh, in the Premier League this season, which just tells you everything that you need to know about. Well, that, it was, that, it was always going to happen to us, right? Like, yeah. that's just how Everton works. Uh, oh, no, obviously. But it just, it just reiterates that kind of haphazard way that the Premier League, as, as well as many other leagues, you know, the Premier League is not, uh, sole in, in not making, uh, potentially the best use of VAR that they could, uh, but, but we've, we've said, said our, our piece on that and I think it's important, but, that is what it is to me. Um, the more interesting part of this match is that Everton losing Everton this year, um, with the exception of the Man City match, which obviously is a very different beast altogether, losing Everton this year has, has had a very specific type about it. It's some team from the bottom half of the table or weirdly now sixth place Crystal Palace um, comes out and they sit 10 guys behind the ball and we watch Everton beat itself in the dick until it just doesn't score, and, and that's the end of it. Um, and, and that wasn't really what played out this weekend. You know, Brighton played a, a pretty open match. Um, Brighton out-possessed Everton, um, which is, is significant, you know, because Marco Silva's Everton has tended to um, out-possess these uh, most teams who are lower to, to mid-table, and, and I think that we do have to give some credit to Brighton on the whole, um, who ha- has has turned into a team that, that can keep the ball after this match. Uh, they're averaging 53% possession uh, through the course of their first 10 matches. That's ninth in the Premier League. It's basically the same as Everton. Um, but it's it's interesting because what we have seen in the past is if teams try to possess the ball against Everton, uh, usually the the press lights them up enough that they don't create chances and that Everton steals, you know, a goal or two on the break in some form or another and, and the, the Toffees, you know, find a way to win. Uh, and that, obviously, a, a lot of extenuating circumstances with the pen and with the own goal and all that. But at the end of the day, the match pretty much played out that way and Everton still didn't win. And I think that maybe is is the most damning thing that we can say about Marco Silva after we've you know been been pretty openly critical of him for a number of weeks now that he even had a match against a team that his team has more talent than I don't think anybody even Brighton fans would would disagree with that and got the sort of match in which his teams have generally played well um, since he started at Everton and they still lost. And that is deeply, deeply troubling if you're a person that wants to see Marco Silva stay at Everton long term. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Uh, you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head with everything there. And you, you mentioned the Everton that Everton were out possessed in this game against Brighton, something that doesn't typically happen against these lower table clubs. Um, if you just want to dive into that a little bit more. Adam, we'll start with you. You know, did Grand Potter, Potter do anything, you know, different or, or something that most lower table clubs don't do, or was it just a Marco Silva adjustment in this one? Um, I don't 
necessarily think uh, think that that Silva did anything you know outside the norm. I don't think that we saw from Everton anything different than than what we normally do. Like I said, you know, uh, after this match, Brighton's possession, you know, it, it, over the the course of the first ten games, is it at fifty three percent? Everton's is at fifty three point three percent. That's eighth and ninth most in the Premier League. So you're certainly not looking at a, a team in Brighton that is unaccustomed to having the ball, you know, uh, for for relatively long stretches of the game. Uh, the possession in this one was 56-44 to Brighton. So it's not like, you know, it was like 70-30 and it's thrown their season totals out of whack. You know, I, I think that we saw in, in Brighton a team that with, you know, with guys like Pascal Gross uh, is is able to, possess the ball maybe a, a little bit more and a little bit better than, than they're generally giving credit for. And Everton is always happy to uh, have less possession and, and play, you know, play their, their high pressing style where you're, it's not about how much of the ball you have. It's about where you have it and, and when you have it. Um, and, and Silva got most of the things that he would have wanted out of this one in, and without having to change much, and they still found a way to lose. Yeah, I again, like you said before, not great from that aspect. Not really much that was great from an Everton aspect in this one, but something to, um, you know, really look upon here as a, you know, a bright spot coming from this game. Dominic Calvert-Lewin now has goals in five of his last six games. What's happened with him? Has he finally found form? Has he finally, you know, become good? Well, you know, obviously we know his physical ability, but, you know, what has happened here with Dominic Calvert-Lewin? I mean, I, th- I think to a large extent it's just the natural physical progression of a of a young Premier League player, right? Like, you know, he he's always had buckets of ability, and I think that the knock against him has been his finishing ability over the years. And now you're starting to see <clears> – <throat> You're starting to see the training come through. You're starting to see Marco Silva's, perhaps his, his man management, man management, excuse me, abilities. And I suppose it's not really a surprise to me because Dom has always put up the underlying numbers and just kind of had struggles finishing off moves in front of goals, in front of goal. I, I don't know that I would say come good necessarily because I think that Dom has always been good. The question more for me is how does his performance affect the rest of the team? And I think that there are other forwards with, with good claims to, to playing a lot of minutes. But now that you have Dom scoring, it's like, well, should we leave him in? Should we take him out? And uh, it's an, it's an open-ended question still, but I think at, at the moment you would have to say that Calvert-Lewin is, is option one, right? Um, well, well, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, about yeah. the striker situation, um, in a bit when we talk about the, the Watford match, but, you know, he certainly made a strong case. Um, it's a good finish. It's, uh, against Brighton. It's the sort of finish that, that we've not, uh, we've not seen him make, uh, a ton, you know, usually if, if he is finishing, it's, it's something that's in tight. Um, there's we've talked a lot about what he brings off the ball and and that isn't something that's going to change um you know it when Everton is looking to press he is going to be a guy who brings something that Richarlison doesn't bring that Trent Tosun doesn't bring that Moise Keane doesn't bring and then that's just the reality of it um if he can score on chances like those consistently 
well, now you're talking about a guy who, you know, can, can score goals and be the, the guy that, that creates chances via the press. Um, that's, that's big. Now he's still got to work on his holdup play. We know that Everton has had problems breaking down teams in deep blocks. And I still don't necessarily think that he's a guy who can be relied on, um, for, for that kind of play. Um, but against teams that we know are going to kind of be a little more open, if he continues to score like this, uh, it's going to be hard to argue his place, even if one of his goals he stole from Seamus Coleman. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say, you know, as, you know, as long as he's scoring goals, you're right. It's going to be hard to replace him. We always talk about our strikers scoring goals and how that's been something that hasn't happened recently. And, in recent years and he now he's taking advantage of that and you know starting to put some in the back of the net and I think you know with that uh, he has to you know you kind of have to keep him in at that point if he's if he keeps scoring goals mm-hmm. um you know another guy who scored a goal this week as we move oh, into the great. Watford here we go now, Mason Holgate uh <sighs> two assists in his two recent starts possibly Everton's best attacker and with that Adam, you have the floor. Please give us your response to Mason Holgate's recent successes. Okay. Here's how I'm going to start with 100% sincerity. Um, The pass that he plays to Calvert-Lewin for the go-ahead goal against Brighton, you know, ultimately obviously didn't matter. Um, That's a real good pass. It's a really good pass. He's played the ball really well into a channel where Calvert-Lewin can latch onto it. Uh, Holgate traditionally has not been a good distributor of the ball at all, but that's a hell of a pass. And if it's something that he can bring into his game on the regular, uh, I mean, you're talking about a, a completely different scenario than we've had with him at, at any point. Um, up I, I, right I, I'll interrupt you briefly to ask what he was doing up there in a one, one match, but go on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> nothing is perfect, right? <laughs> no, um, I mean, cause it, well, he's, it's not like he's playing that pass from the center circle. He's well into the attack yeah. third. Um, so, so yes, uh, I I absolutely 100% unironically, uh, non-critically give him credit for that play. It was a good play, and it's something that you know if VAR doesn't you know doesn't call Michael Keane for a penalty late in that match, you know maybe Everton wins two one, and we're talking about the game-winning Mason Holgate assist, and and, and rightfully so. Um, the goal against Watford, um, obviously it's a very important goal. Um, good for him for being in the right place, for putting the ball in the back of the net when it lands on his head. Um, but, uh, I mean, if, if we're being honest, anybody on this team not named Michael Keane is going to score from that range uh, on that cross, I should hope. Um, so, you know, credit to him for being in the right place, putting the ball in the back of the net. Uh, that's – I don't I don't really value that that particular uh, passage of play all that, that highly in terms of what Holgate brought – uh, to it with his attacking play. Um, and, and then defensively, he was both against Brighton and Watford. Eh, he was okay. Um, it, it wasn't, uh, there was very little catastrophic about what he brought defensively. Um, you know, uh, Watford obviously can't score goals for shit. So, I mean, take that with a grain of salt. I, I think that's the important point, right? Like, he was definitely passable defensively. And I should say that the defensive aspect is what concerns me more about his play than anything mm-hmm. he can, may or may not be able to offer an attack. And 
as as decently as he played, I don't. I think there's an argument to be made for Yeri Mina for being the player of the season so far. He's really progressed well since, in terms of his development since last season. Uh, you know, Holgate faced two of the worst. You know, respect to Brighton, but two of the worst teams in the Premier League, and so you have to kind of grade on a curve there, but. I will begrudgingly admit that he exceeded my personal expectations. Yeah, yeah. and you know, and and that's really, I think, uh, Marco Silva, you know, I think has has pretty obviously proven to have a prior opinion of Mason Holgate, not necessarily all that different um, from those present. You know, I don't think that he's thought particularly highly of Holgate. Um, but the reality is we didn't bring in another center back over the summer, so he's the third guy on the depth chart, and that is what it is. You know, there's there's nothing that we're going to do to change that now, especially with uh, Jean-Philippe Gabama now. So he was going to have to play. Um, he came in, and uh, he, he certainly – you wouldn't say he did poorly, and there were things about his game that he did very well. Um, Silva, historically – when you come in, even if he's surprised that you did well, if you do well, you stay in the lineup until you don't do well. I wouldn't be surprised to see Mason Holgate start this week against Tottenham, especially, obviously, if Yerry Mina um, is still not fit, then obviously he's going to play because, as we've said, he's the only other option. Um, but it's it, it, it's very different to, uh, to do it against uh, Watford in the League Cup uh, than it is to do it against Harry Kane in the Premier League. And uh, what I will say is is that if he comes out and has a good performance against Tottenham on Sunday, uh, then yeah, then absolutely I'll admit that maybe we need to change the narrative around him. Uh, we're we're not there yet, but but what we've seen from him over the last couple of games is certainly uh, more a step in the right direction than I think uh, I would have ever expected out of him. Yeah, and and and. It'll be interesting, like you said, to see how he plays against Tottenham this week. A little bit more of a, well, definitely more of a, uh, a, a challenge there. And Chris, you mentioned development, um, a, a little bit ago. And one player that we're looking at and looking to develop and hope to see develop is Moise Keane. You know, are we starting to get worried about him? Um, is Marco Silva hurting his development with, you know, wasting his talent? Um, or really just should we just be patient with it and kind of let it let it come as as it will um you know i i think more than perhaps being worried about him i just feel bad for him uh he he let moise Keane left kind of a bad situation in juventus with the the overall lack of playing time thanks to cristiano ronaldo and gonzalo Higuain being brought back from chelsea and of course all the the racial injustices that he he suffered through over the years and he's he's kind of been there's two different aspects of this right marco silva has experimented him with him at least one or two, three times out on the wing, which he clearly doesn't belong out there. And then Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been playing really well. Um, I, I think that based on what I know and understand about player development, Keen deserves to be playing and should be playing to progress himself professionally. But at the same time, in the position that Marco Silva is in, can you really afford to do that? And I, I don't know the answer to that. I really like what I've seen about from Moise Keane. 
he he hasn't really been put in positions to succeed in terms of you know being provided these the passes that he can get shots off of and you know guilty Sigurdsson has struggled and once Alex Awobi was put into the 10 spot it seems like it's been Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top so it's it's just been kind of a mess and I don't I don't totally know that I blame Marco Silva for it other than he should never be playing right wing yeah, and I, and I think that the up, the other upshot there is is that we don't need Richarlison um, at striker. Um, I, I, you know, and this is something that we've talked about a lot before. Um, he doesn't bring the pressing play that um, that Dom brings. He doesn't bring the hold up play that Jenk brings, and he's not you know he's not the long term answer there the way that that Moise Keane might be. But that's kind of uh, tangential to the point. Uh, I, I think that you've you've Absolutely hit on a, a good point, Chris, in terms of Silva. So Silva's coaching for his job at this point. I don't think that there's really any doubt about that. You know, the results have been what they are. And you can think, you know, that he's a lot responsible for that, a little responsible for that, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, but I don't think at this point you can deny that the guy is coaching for his job. Now, Everton sits in 16th place in the Premier League, and, and you don't really get the sense that this is a team that's going to be able to make a run at, at the top four, at the top six at this point, even though, you know, the points say, you know, that they're only what, like three points out of the top six. Uh, you don't, it, it doesn't feel like a, a group that has that in them this year. So you'd, you'd like to look at it as a developmental season, but the manager knows that if he, you know, if the team finishes in 14th at the end of the year, he's going to be out of a job. Um, so it, it becomes a situation a little bit of, you know, cutting off the nose to spite the face. Uh, and as Chris said, you know, I don't, I don't really have, have an answer for that either. It's, it's just kind of a nature of the business sort of thing. I by no means am saying, you know, Marco Silva should be fired because he's not giving Moise Keane a chance to develop because I, I get why he's, he's playing things the way that he is. You know, he's got a job to protect. He's got a reputation to protect and. Moise is a guy who still needs to develop, whose potential is higher than anybody else in the strike court. But if throwing out Dominic Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison is what's going to keep uh, Marco Silva employed another four weeks, far be it for me to say, you know, for me to, to look down on Silva for doing the thing that's going to, you know, help him keep his job. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing for the next couple questions we have here. A couple quick ones on some players. First off, Chang Tosun, does he deserve more? Or Ch- let's just use a statement here. Chang Tosun deserves more playing time. True or false? Go. True. I, based on ability, I also say true. I I just don't know how we get there. I guess the the issue the issue for me, um, and, and this is something that is is one of my biggest frustrations with. Silva and the struggles that this team has had against the Watfords of the world, like we did um, midweek, you know, teams that are that are going to look to to play defensively. You know, especially as as we've seen the team struggle to get Gilfy Sigurdsson involved in the center of the park. We've seen Awobi get a little bit more involved as the ten. Uh, if if Everton is looking for its wide players to really be forces in the attack, and we've seen Theo Walcott come back in. We've seen, obviously, Richarlison play out wide. If those guys are going to be relied on for goal scoring, 
then you can afford to play a striker who is going to look to drop a little deeper and play with his back to goal and serve as more of a distributor um, than a goal scorer. And, uh, you know, we saw on the second goal that Everton scored, obviously it's, you know, late game, things are stretching out um, as Watford's pressing for an equalizer. But, you know, he, he picks up the ball 20 yards behind the, the center line. He turns, he takes two touches, and he plays a 40-yard pass on a line that falls right into Richarlison's feet. And Richarlison goes and puts the game away. There's no other striker on this team that makes that pass. There just isn't. And it's not close. And if we're going to continue to see an Everton team that toils painfully in terms of its creativity when it's playing teams that are playing deep lines against them, then you know that you need a striker who's going to be able to play with his back to goal and hold up the ball to, to let guys get open and who can play that quick pass on the counter on maybe the three counterattack chances that you get all 90 minutes. You can't afford to have Richarlison or Dominic Calvert-Lewin out there mishitting one of your three opportunities to catch, uh, you know, Burnley when actually committing numbers forward. To me, it's, it's not a this week situation because Tottenham obviously presents a, a, a different type of challenge. Um, but, but as, as we look forward into, into Everton's fixtures, when we talk about playing Southampton in two weeks, for instance, he's the sort of guy who can bring something to help break down those teams that no other striker on the team can do. Uh, and one thing to add to that, which I don't disagree with at all, is is back to circling back around to your point about Theo Walcott. I, I feel like it at least bears mentioning he's played really well over yes. the last what three four games. And if by some miracle Theo starts putting the ball in the back of the net, which he's done essentially his entire career, bar eighteen months of his Everton tenure, give or take. Mm-hmm. It, that that presents a whole different equation for both Marco Silva and the teams that are defending us, because uh, Walcott's shown this this newfound you know ability to. I've been impressed with his with his creativity. I've been impressed with his runs and like, you know, if he starts contrib- contributing tangibly on the score sheet, that is really big, particularly as Bernard is out. Yeah, and you know, and Theo, worth noting, um, I said, I said of Mason Holgate, you know, well, yeah, you expect most, you know, most players at this level to put away the chance that he did. Well, the reason it was such a, a simple chance to convert is because Theo Walcott dropped the ball around his fucking head, you know, four yards from goal. Um, it was an outstanding cross from Walcott, and I and I agree. If if it ends up being the case that a workable attacking three for this team is Richarlison, Iwobi, Walcott. I'm just hard-pressed, and I know we just talked about how you need to find time for Moise Keane too, so it's tough, but I'm hard-pressed to say that anybody but Cenk Tosun and the very specific set of skills that he brings doesn't uh, is, is not the best match for that attacking midfield three. Now, you know, maybe things pan out that that group is is not the way to go, and and then there's a a different conversation to be had uh, there. But for my money, if you need a little bit more creativity, which Everton has needed against teams like Burnley, like Southampton, I don't know how you keep hiding away the big Turk on the bench. I just don't know. 
Yeah, it definitely poses some interesting questions if some of these guys, um, you know, continue to play like they are and things start to, um, you know, work out with that, like you mentioned, that Richarlison, Awobi, and Walcott pairing. Um, and, and, you know, when we talk about this, it shows, you know, there is talent on this team. It's just about a matter of finding out who fits well with what and, and with who. And, 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 I mean, it's it's worth noting that as much as the team has struggled this season, and it has, in its last three matches, which were all against Premier League opposition, if you count the, the League Cup game on Tuesday against Watford, who is technically a Premier League team, uh, Everton's got six goals in its last three games. Um, so, so they're finding the net, um, in, in, you know, against di- uh, different types of, of opponents. Um, so you, you're definitely seeing some of that talent come to the forefront. It's just a matter of how we're making sure that, uh, those, those really, you know, the, the key players, the Awobis, the Richarlisons, um, are being put in a position to succeed based on who the opponent is. And I think that when you're, you're playing some of those more conservative teams, Tosin's the guy. Yeah, absolutely. Great point there, um, Adam. And, you know, another player, we, you mentioned the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball, somebody we haven't seen too much, uh, Leighton Baines. Um, is, is he dead? What is, what is wrong? Where is he right now? <laughs> well, I, I, I think the, the real question here is, are we going to kill Luca Dean, right? Like, that's, that's what I'm a little bit more concerned about. I don't think Leighton Baines probably particularly gives a crap too much one way or another about his playing time at this point in his career. But if, if Everton stay in the League Cup, um, you know, another round or two, and if they, well, gosh, I guess another two rounds would be the final, which God forbid we make it that far. But, <laughs> um, or, you know, once the FA Cup starts against these lower league teams, if you're not, if you're not starting Luca Dean against, Watford, the last, or pardon me, Leighton Baines against the last place team in the Premier League in an early cup round. Is there any opportunity this season? Yeah, and it's just kind of, if, if the team, you know, if, if Silva felt like, you know, I, I don't think that there's a, a place for him in the first team, I, I don't think that anyone would, anyone, you know, around the club would have been upset or argued in any way if he got the Jagielka treatment at the end of last season, if the club, you know, gave him a, a nice trot out in, in one of the last last games of the season and gave him a very nice, you know, thank you for your service uh, and all that and let him go play for, you know, Wigan Athletic or whomever else he played for before he was, he was at Everton. Um, but it is peculiar that, they went out and they said, "Yep, we're going to bring him back for one more year to to not even not even have him in the 18 um, against Watford, which really, again, and there's there was the there was a banged up Yeri Mina, um, and and still still he he wasn't there uh, two weeks ago when Coleman was out." Uh, was out out injured. I don't think he was in the lineup that that or in the 18 that day either. I'm checking that right now. Um, correct or, or no, that was two weeks ago. But either way, we've seen so little of him, even on the bench as an option. That uh, what what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Adam. Um, you know, it's 
it's weird that we haven't seen a lot of him. Um, you know, even in these, in, even in these, these matches against teams that are, again, the lower end of the table or, um, you know, not even in the Premier League. Um, and I mean, it's, it's it, not that it's, we've not seen a, a lot of him. We've seen none of him. He's played zero yeah, first exactly, team yeah. minutes in any competition, just to be clear. Yeah. And, and like, like Chris said, you know, it's, you know, how, how many games are we going to ask Lucas Dinia to play this year? Because I mean, you know, we, we, you know, for him towards the end of the season, it's going to get tired and, you know, God forbid something happens and he gets injured because he's played too many matches. You know, I, I think we all can say that Leighton Baines is a, you know, a, a trustworthy left back that can take over for him in, in these matches and, and he just hasn't. Um, anything else you guys take from this performance other than the fact that, you know, Watford are bad? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I want to say yes. But uh, my my heart of hearts is saying no, not really. Um, not only you know Watford are that was one of the worst attacking te- performances that I've seen from any team that I've watched across world football all season. I mean they just can't do anything, and I I kind of winced a little bit when Gerard De La Feu was substituted on a because he has talent, but b also because. It would have been the most Everton thing possible to give up some sort of equalizer involving De La Feu. And it just didn't matter. They, they still could not perform any sort of uh, offensive function. You know, it was offensive, but, um, in the, in the different meaning of the word, <laughs> this is, I, I guess I don't know at this point under Marco Silva's tenure how much credit that I want to give Everton for beating the teams that they should be beating. Um, and, you know, and I think that the other thing is, is that, so Watford put on just, just the one, uh, shot on target, which as memory serves wound up actually being a pretty good chance, like midway through the second half. Um, and, and really up to that point, Everton also had not done, uh, anything really. Um, and at that, at that moment when that shot came and, and, Watford, you know, got what was effectively <laughs> really their only chance of the match. Um, the whole thing kind of woke up a little bit. Um, you know, the the Everton crowd really kind of got into it and kind of got onto the backs of the, the, the players a little bit. And, you know, it probably to a, a fair extent, um, when you think about the, the way that that game had gone, I said to Chris at halftime, you know, this this game, the first half of this game was just absolutely awful to watch. And, and we can and should make fun of Watford because they are bad and deserve to be made fun of. Um, but it's it's not like Everton at any point up until around the 70th, 65th, 70th minute was, um, you know, beating up on Watford. It was they had the better of possession. They had some chances, but it wasn't really until the last 20 or 30 minutes of the match that uh well that, that the yeah. started to put things together in a meaningful and, sense and credit to the crowd too because uh, you know i i don't understand i don't pretend to understand the the english football fan culture i i live in the united states i've never been to an everton game i'll freely tell you that but there was a notable difference when the crowd switched on about 65 70 minutes um, which, which really made a big impression on me. You know, the, pl- in terms of the players reaction, they, they started really pushing for it. And 
maybe that's Marco Silva yelling at them, but it felt like it coincided against the crowd's reaction. Agreed. Yeah, um, you know, that about wraps it up for for Watford. And with that, we're going to move from the reviews to the previews. And now as we get in this segment uh, three, the, the final segment here, we invite Sean Cahill from Cartilage Free Captain to discuss Everton's impending matchup with Spurs this coming weekend. Um, Sean, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're, we're, we're teetering on the edge of an emotional and psychological crisis, but other than that, things just think so, you fine. know, pretty much the same <laughs> as you. Hey, yeah. misery, misery loves company, gentlemen. That's what can I say? Back. <laughs> yeah, I think, should, I think that's where we should start. Uh, how are, you know, what's, how, how are you guys doing there as Spurs fans? Um, obviously we've had our fair share of misery as we just mentioned over the course of the season. But things haven't been going well for you guys either. What's kind of the consensus uh, right now as you guys are, you know, where we had 10 weeks in now? Well, if we put it on the scale of uh, uh, Harry Redknapp bacon sandwich to um, crazy-ass uh, Tim Sherwood, we're probably somewhere in the middle of uh, uh, when AVB was about ready to get his ass canned and we're all panicking. Uh, other than scale. <laughs> I mean, it was the only thing I could really think of because, you know, the, the, the peak of Harry Redknapp was pretty good. The ba- you know, when he's talking about bacon sandwiches, everybody likes it. Uh, and then of course, you know, Tim Sherwood can, you know, die in a fire, but hey, that's just me. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's been weird. It's been a weird start. This was obviously not what any of us expected, uh, when the transfer window closed in August and we had, Nailed all four targets that had been reported, which was, of course, um, the Jack Clark, who's on loan to, uh, on loan to Leeds, uh, Ryan Cisignon from Fulham, uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, uh, from Real Batiste and, uh, uh, Tangi Nadambale from, uh, Lyon. And there's been a perfect storm of problems, uh, mainly that Lo Celso's been hurt, uh, because, you know, international football sucks. Uh, Cisignan we knew was coming back from an injury, but it's taking a lot longer than we expected. Uh, and the Dombele, for the most part, has been fine. He did have a little bit of a nagging injury early on, but, uh, when he's come on, he is, he has been absolute class. But that doesn't explain everything else. Like, uh, Jan Vertongen and Toby Alderweireld, uh, sucking hind tit. Uh, Danny Rose looks old. Uh, Serge Aurier's bad. Uh, well, Christian see- Eriks. Oh, the go thing ahead. about those first three players that you mentioned, uh, Rose, uh, Toby, and Jan, they aren't young. No, you would say. <laughs> right, and, and the thing about the thing about the fourth player, Serge Aurier, is that he's never been good. So yeah, it's like, also <laughs> I mean, you know, we were we were talking about this earlier today, and uh, there's a there was a good comparison is that Serge Aurier, he. He has the quality. He's just never, ever been able to put it together. Uh, I, I, let me find this because the, uh, the, the, the explanation of him is spot on. And I can't remember what player got, he got compared to. And we were also like, Oh God, that hurts so much. Um, <laughs> let me find it here. I'm stalling for time. God bless it. I should have had this pulled up before I uh, hopped on guys. I'm sorry. Well, but, real quick, um, just, just in terms of you mentioned Danny Rose, I, I, I think I saw something earlier. Just while you're looking that up, is, is he suspended for this game? 
Because he has five yellow cards? Yes, he is. So how, um, how does he have five yellow cards already? Oh, oh, have you have you not watched Tottenham Hotspur 2019? Danny Rose is the king of shithousing, and uh, he is he has made that his uh, personal duty to get yellow carded as much as possible. It seems, but yeah, he he collected number five on Sunday against Liverpool, which. Uh, Five minutes into the match, we're like, yeah, he's going to get carded today. So, uh, so yeah, he is out. So expect to see Ben Davis, uh, at, uh, at left back on, on a yeah, Sunday. That was my next question. Uh, you know, wondered who you guys are going to put out there, uh, left back this Sunday, but we can get in all the technical stuff. Um, yep. you know, as we move forward though, it was, it was interesting. And I think that, that fullback is such a good spot to start when you're talking about this this team and what they did over the summer because I mean it shouldn't have taken a rocket scientist to figure out that even if Toby and Jan played well which uh, you know as you've said they they have not a fullback was going to be a problem even if you felt like Danny Rose was going to be good going into the season Mm -hmm. I mean we we were wondering who was going to get jettisoned um, when we had about two weeks to go, and you know we still hadn't locked up uh, Lacelso and Cion, which obviously were uh, England deadline day deals. But you know we're sitting here going, "Oh my God, we need fullbacks. We really need fullbacks. We really, really need fullbacks." And of course, we didn't sign a fullback. And uh, you know, it's a it's a story as old as time where, uh, oh, God, Tottenham didn't find a target that they absolutely needed. So, uh, so I take it that uh, Pochettino and others think that Sessegnon is a is a winger then? So depending on what report you read, but the if, if you talk about the guys who, who know the inner workings, so like Ben Pierce and uh, uh, Alistair Gold and Dan Kilpatrick, uh, the belief was is that they wanted to, to basically have him be a utility left flank for this season. And then have him be the left back of the future going forward. So eventually left back, he was not going to be a left wing, but they, they just see him as a dynamic player. One of those guys that pick a spot on the left flank and he could probably have, fill in there. Have, has anyone at Tottenham watched him defend before? Um, that's a good question. I'll get back to you. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's basically, that's basically where it is. And going back to Arya, here's your, Here's your quote, and I'm going to give you a name here, and I think you're all going to groan. Um, so this is from an article in The Athletic. Uh, according to one French journalist, however, Arié is increasingly viewed in France, where he moved to from the Ivory Coast as a child, as being like former Newcastle winger Hayden Ben-Arfa. Oh, Richly no. ta- right. <laughs> Richly talented, but lacking the necessary dedication to become truly world-class. A source close to Arié added that he is not viewed as nasty or malicious, but that his problem is a lack of balance, never knowing when to stop both on and off the pitch. So, so it spurs Mason Holgate. He's just dumb. <laughs> that's yeah, that's about right. Um, I mean, there was a moment in the Champions League match against Bayern Munich where he just randomly decided to run up into attack, and he was basically playing the ten. We don't know why, but he was just up there just chilling. And there's a moment where you could see Lamella scream at him, like, what are you doing? And uh, okay, he finally okay, goes I'm back gonna stop, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there. When Eric Lamella is the voice of reason, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I love Coco. But, yes, I mean, Coco is one of those that uh, we, again, kind of a walking yellow card because he's he's 
batshit insane in press, but, uh, I mean, <laughs> he's obviously held in much higher regard than Serge Aurier is. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's a fair, fair thing to say. And it's uh, aren't we hearing... all? I hope we all are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, definitely. And, and, um, it's interesting to hear that stuff about, about Serge Aurier kind of gives you an insight into some of the things going on with him, but let's focus on Pochettino, Pochettino now. I mean, it seems that there's been something going on between mm-hmm. him and the players. Not really sure what, obviously, from the outside looking in. From, you know, your perspective as a supporter of Spurs and someone who follows along with this, you know, what is happening between Poach and the players? Is there a rift going on between them? You know, give us the lowdown on that. So, again, this this is all kind of conjecture here, but – we keep we keep pretty in tune with uh a lot of the articles that are that are posted up there and basically the the consensus was that the diamond the 442 diamond which doesn't usually work uh Pochettino for whatever reason has fallen in love with and the players were tired of it they were tired of the same old tactics the same old training sessions and they want to try something different. But we've, if you've ever read any of our, our opinion piece or anything, we talk about the cult of Pochettino in that you are either a part of the cult or you can get the hell out. It's, it's his way or the highway. And this season has kind of shown that and that he, he still sticks to the old uh, style, although not nearly as much pressing. And it's, it's frustrating, especially as a supporter to watch, but, uh, there were players that were angling to move out. I mean, again, nobody, nobody came for Erickson. Nobody came for Alderweireld. Uh, Vertonghen wanted a new deal. And de- again, depending on who you ask, it's either he wanted like three or four years and the club's like, no, you're 32 years old. We'll, we'll give you two. And of course they couldn't come to an agreement. Um, then there's of course the speculation of uh, who gave him the black eye in the in the second week of the season, which who the hell knows. But there's 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 obviously a lot of problems. <laughs> if if you're asking the question who gave him the black eye, things are not ever really going well. If you're asking that question, no, if we're, we're going to be asking separate... or, or bringing to mind Andy Carroll. Mm-hmm. You might have gone the wrong way. I, I'm going to need a separate episode just on that discussion. For the the Everton fans listening to this, I mean, I guess it's a positive note thinking that Everton haven't had to ask that question yet this year. (laughs) That's true. It's not a good comment around the league this year. John Stones was sporting a bad uh, black eye a couple days ago in Manchester City's game. Yeah, but the difference there is that John Stones probably kicked himself in the head. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, John Stones should get his leg up to his head. Like no, but it's a real funny image. Right. <laughs> uh, Serious question for you. So, yep. so Poch has, has more or less continued to stick kind of at 442 Diamond, right? Uh. In the last couple of weeks, he has actually moved away from it. So in the 5-0 win over uh, Red Star Belgrade at home, Spurs were actually in a 4-3-3. And it's the first time in weeks that they have looked actually quality. 
the last time I think was against Crystal Palace when they beat them 4-0, but I think that was more just Palace picked a really bad day to be bad and, you know, yeah. Spurs were clinical. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, it's just an interesting one for me to insist with the roster that, that he has at his disposal to playing two strikers when I don't think that you'd say either Harry Kane nor, uh, Hung Min Son have been particularly good so far this year? I would say Sonny has. Uh, he's done a lot off the ball. Now, granted, he hasn't been scoring, but yeah. I, I I don't think I've ever actually looked at one of his performances and said that he was outwardly bad. Now, I can't say the same for Kane. Um, there are a couple of matches where he – I forgot he was even on the pitch. Uh, and that's just sometimes the nature of the beast. But yeah. with Kane, it's been happening a little bit more recent, and I know we're going to talk about that later. But – uh, against Liverpool, we looked more in the standard 4-2-3-1, uh, which was refreshing because it's okay. The problem was is that we started Sissoko and Winks in the, in the pivot. And I'm tired of that. So, but what happened is that Erickson was dropping back basically as a right midfielder when Spurs were defending and he was being asked to uh, defend Robertson. And Robertson oh. basically just blew by him like he was going through a turnstile. And that happened multiple times. But there, there was, there were not many people that, uh, thought Erickson had a good match against Liverpool. And I hope to God that he's one of them too. Uh, he was, he was not good. He has not been good for most of the season. I, I feel like the Erickson question segues into our next, our next point quite nicely. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it feels like Spurs may be active in January, and departures may be the name of the game over top yep. of incomings. What do you What do you think? So there are as many as five or six players that I think Spurs could actively try to move. Now, whether or not it happens remains to be seen. But uh, Jan and Toby are both out of contract in summer, so I know it sounds insane. But it is entirely possible that one, if not both, get shopped in January, which would leave, which would leave Spurs with the defense of Davidson Sanchez, uh, Eric Dyer, uh, who the hell else am I missing here? Uh, you could play Juan Foyt there, although he's being groomed for right back, uh, cause reasons. Um, <laughs> because you have no fullbacks. Uh, right. That's basically <laughs> it. And, and to be fair, to be fair, to be fair to Foyth, uh, he played a couple of matches at fullback last, at the end of last season and actually did fairly well. Uh, Joel Wertheimer, who, who write, writes for us, uh, was making an argument towards the end of last season that the numbers on, on him and stats bomb dictate more that he's, he's more of a DM than he is a center back. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I understand the move. It's just, it still seems a little weird. And he's playing right back for Argentina now at the international level. Uh, Another team with no fullbacks. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Wanyama, who I don't even know where he is. They probably have him chained up in the basement. Uh, Uh, The the Ross Barkley Deserters Island. Uh, We call it it the uh, Vincent Janssen uh, hideout uh, because he was definitely chained up. Guard button memorial shed uh, (laughs) over over here in Everton land. But, yeah, same same idea. Uh, And Christian's the big one. Christian, the thing is, he's gone. 
I, I don't think there is any way that he comes back. The question is who's going to sign him. And I don't think anybody's going to come calling for him in January. I think what's probably the, um, most obvious outcome is that he signs a pre-contract with somebody on the continent. Uh, I'm looking at you, Juventus, and he, he moves on a free in, uh, in the summer. I think the one thing Juventus definitely need is more midfielders. <laughs> yes, they always need more midfielders. They need all the midfielders. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we, we, we're talking about players here. Let's get into the manager um, himself. We we had this discussion um, la- the last time we talked about Marco Silva. You know, for Poach, what would it take for him to get sacked and – do you guys have any ideal replacements or, or, uh, you know, manager swaps that you guys can see, um, you know, really making sense for you guys if he is to get sacked? We'll trade so, with you just for the record. If you want Marco <laughs> Silva, we'll take Potter off your hands. So I don't know, I don't know which one of you did, uh, QA with, uh, with Menno, but, uh, he, he popped into our, into our, uh, main room today and asked us if we had any pressing questions. And my first question was, uh, if I swapped Marco Silva with Colin Farrell right now, would anybody in Everton, uh, recognize a tactical <laughs> difference? <laughs> uh, so. uh, no, is, no, no is the short answer. Do you want the long answer? <laughs> maybe, maybe sometime. I have a feeling if I get you started, you might not stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be three hours long by the time we're done with it. <laughs> so, all right, going back to the question. So, I don't know what it's going to take because if you look at 2019, Spurs have been just awful. Uh, I think I think Sunday was True. our 19th or 20th loss in the calendar year. We've still only taken two points on the road the entire calendar year. So. Most managers by that time would be loaded into the cannon and, and uh, fired in the general direction of the sun. I don't know what it's going to take because most most teams would have sacked somebody by now. But uh, and Daniel Levy has, I mean, in the past, he's always had the quick trigger. You look at the the late two thousands, and you know he was he was firing them left and right, you know, until he got to Redknapp. Uh, but it's, it's such an interesting situation that Pochettino we know is a really, is a really good manager. And I think the fear is that Spurs, whoever they replace him with, is not going to be nearly as good. And we know that there's problems with, with players that either wanted to move or are just tired of this. And it may just be that we're waiting out until January and Levy's going to say, all right, Tell me who you want to sell. See if we can bring any in, and we just survive until next season, and we we hit the reset button, which is crazy. But that might be the way that we're going. I, I also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I also feel like Pochettino has probably at least built up some some goodwill capital in terms of making the Champions League final, and I think you know yes. what, they, f- they finished second one year in the past couple of years and things like that, right? Oh, absolutely. And with another conversation that we have had is what would have happened if this team didn't uh didn't get to the Champions League final what what would have happened if this team would have bowed out in the group stage like we all thought was going to happen three matches into uh what the group stages if Fernando Llorente doesn't score against Manchester City 
or that goal is that goal that City scored at the end is is uh, held up uh, with VAR. Yeah. Um, I mean, there there was several close calls. I mean, yet they still ended up in the final, which is just crazy. But it is what it is. Uh, we we you know we don't know because you know there's the Champions League run masked a lot of problems, and now that that's not there to distract us, the problems kind of came to a head here in September and October. Uh, as for replacements, there's not many. Uh, we all heard the Jose Mourinho rumors, which I, that's not going to happen. Uh, funny enough, there's rumors about him going to Arsenal, which I absolutely want to see. Uh, I, I just need him back in England, honestly. I need the yes. content. No, absolutely not. <laughs> see, oh, it's way too you, entertaining. You think that you want Jose Mourinho because for the first three weeks, you're like, ha ha, this is hilarious. And then it gets old really fast. Just ask his players. They'll tell you. And then from week four out, every time he opens his mouth, you're just like, oh, God, this son of a bitch again. And you mean, don't tell me that you don't do it because we all do. You mean you don't want to see how Jose Mourinho would have handled the Granit Xhaka situation from his past? Oh, my God. Come on. Okay, well, oh, I would have been great. One of the three – First weeks, yes, I would have wanted to see it. But if it was after that, then no, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I, I prefer not to speak if anybody gets that reference. <laughs> uh, so in non-Mourinho uh, links, uh, Allegri would, would be definitely up there, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to leave Italy. I'm fairly certain that's, he's going to take a job for, uh, for next year. Uh, after that, uh, Dan Allardyce I, is available. Oh my God, no! Oh, <laughs> well, about, you know, uh, Eddie Howe spins the wheel of. Eddie. I mean, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Howe has been talked about as a potential successor. Um, I it would be a step backwards. Um, I, I've not rumors, but you know, we've we've wondered what it would take to uh, uh, get old Rafa Benitez away from China. Uh, which, you know, and then of course, if we want to throw out some jokes, I mean, uh, uh, Roberto Di Matteo is available somewhere. I'm sure he's sipping on a fruity drink somewhere on a beach. I bet, uh, uh, AV, AVB would definitely come back. Oh my god, no. I mean, look, AV, AVB, handsome, handsome son of a bitch. But, uh, no, I don't want to see that again. I bet you could, uh, flip Roberto Martinez from the Belgian national team if you oh. tried real hard. Oh no! Now I'm just all confused about whether or not he's good or not. Like <laughs> I, my mind is in a pretzel at this point. <laughs> exactly. The best, the most entertaining managers to watch are the ones that you don't actually know if they're good or not, as long as they're not managing your team. Yeah, I mean, you, you understand that this is why we we don't want him gone. Uh, there was, yeah. there was a moment, you know, where all of us were like, okay, screw this. Something's got to change. And then we, we kind of sat back and we, we waited for some of the comments and everything to come out and some of the beat writers to report were like, wait, this is really dumb if we fire him. Uh, so no, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want him gone. Now what happens will basically be dictated on, where we're sitting at come January, I think. Uh, if this team doesn't make, doesn't make the knockouts of Champions League, if it's, uh, in the bottom half of the table, uh, there's a lot of factors that go into, uh, that go into play here. So still a, it, it, a lot to you, be seen. If you lose to Everton, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, we haven't won a road game since Boxing Day last year. In, wow. In, in, in fairness, yeah. though, we haven't won one since March. So, I mean, it's not it's not that different. <laughs> in, in, in fairness, though, Everton haven't won this fixture since December of 2012. So, uh, I mean, well, they're with the numbers. I mean, this is it's a good as time as any if you if you if you catch us because. Right now, on, on the road, we, we look like a youth side. That's, and that's the, that's the problem. Just, I don't, I don't get it. See, you think that would be good for us, but we find a way to play better against the top six teams that are playing really well instead of the teams that are playing poorly. And, well, <laughs> yeah, come on, be good. And then we'll beat you. <laughs> <laughs> or at least draw. <laughs> um, moving on now though, um, you know, we talked about the injuries a little bit already. Yeah. Uh, mentioned in Dombele and Lokel. So, how much do you blame some of these injury absences for the rough start? Well, I mean, given that we have only seen like, I don't even think it's been a hundred minutes of Lacelso. Uh, we have. I, I looked this up. It's been fifty-seven, which is okay. it's not what you want. It's not great. No. <laughs> I mean, he was. He made two little appearances before the September international break, and then he got hurt playing for Argentina. So that that lost six weeks. Uh, Ndombele, his issue has been fitness. Like he goes about 60 minutes and then he's gassed. Uh, which, sure, fine. But during the, during that time, he's, he's awesome. Like his passing just wows me every time. He finds the seams that I don't think are there. Like if you watch his, if you watch his appearance, uh, against Liverpool, uh, he, I think he had like four key passes in the short time that he was on the pitch. I mean, just a night and day difference between having him and Harry uh, Harry Winks. So that, that, so Winks and Sissoko, you know, started in the midfield in mm-hmm. that game. Did you get the, the sense that them starting over Lacelso and and Ndombele, it is that still fitness related or it's fitness? Potch, okay, Poch wasn't trying to galaxy. Break no, no, no. no. Like, so so n- what I'm just confirming. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, so Nadamale started against Red Star Belgrade. He played, I think, 65 okay. minutes, and he came off the bench. So uh, fully expect to see Nadamale start on Sunday. Uh, as for Lacelso, I don't think you're going to see him start. I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a second half sub for him. Uh, hopefully it's more than six minutes, uh, cause I think that's what he played against Liverpool. Uh, I'm hoping like, you know, he, he comes in at halftime or the 60th minute mark. And I think it's more than likely he will start against Sheffield, uh, next, uh, the following week. I think that's more likely to happen. Moving on, you know, talking about another player we uh, who we also already talked about in Harry Kane you mentioned a little bit about how you know he has been non-existent in some games um you know and it's a small sample size but it looks like his expected goals for 90 has taken a you know a big drop from years past is this a product of him playing with you know possibly the worst Tottenham team in several years or you know something else that that uh, may be contributing to Kane, you know, not looking as good as he has in recent years. 
so, I just want to know if Sean is willing to amputate his ankle and donate it to Harry Kane. I, I would absolutely do that. The problem is, is that both of my ankles are nothing but scar tissue, so it probably would make the situation worse. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something about stepping in a gopher hole playing football when you're 15. Don't do it. Um, hey, so. I'm, I'm right there with you. My right ankle had all three ligaments severed, not uh, not oh. really severed. So you guys are gross. So, um, hey. This is the uh, this is the Premier League medical podcast now. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so there was a graph that came out yesterday, I think, comparing uh, the expected goals and XGA and all the all the fun um, all the fun stats uh, that we see every day now uh, between him and Tammy Abraham, who is killing it for Chelsea. And it is just a stark contrast to what we've seen from like three years ago when Kane was just a shot monster. Uh, you know, Kane was averaging six to seven shots a match, and now it's something like two to three. Two point eight one, if you're keeping score at home. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so the injuries definitely have to play have to play some kind of a. Uh, uh, part here. There, there's there's no denying it at this point. Uh, he he still has five goals in the Premier League this season, but you know there are large stretches of matches where he's just not there. Now, the good thing for Spurs is that in the last couple of weeks he has been running a hell of a lot more. He's pressing more and he's getting into more dangerous positions. So. There was always a thought that at the beginning of this season, he still wasn't completely healed, which is kind of insanity. But, I mean, there was word over the summer that he was still rehabbing it, still getting strong. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that this was literally a five- to six-month nagging injury, and he's just now getting over it. But it's, what, his third third major ankle injury? I think that's right. Yeah. So, yeah I think so as well. I mean, at some point, at some point, that ankle, you know, you either need to say, you know what, screw it, let's do surgery and let's fix it right, or you have to put up with this long stretch. So I hope, I hope it's done. I hope this is the beginning of uh, him returning to what he is because you know he's 26 years old and he's he's finally entering his prime and uh, he's been on the downturn the last couple of years. Now he's still really good, but. He is not the 15, 16, or 16, 17 Kane that we saw, the one that was scoring goals for fun. Right. Well, I mean, there's a difference between being still really good and putting Spurs in a position where they're going to the Champions League final or competing for a league title. Right. And that's, you know, it's true. And, you know, those two seasons, I mean, you know, the, the season that Lester won, you know, that was the one where like, oh my God, what, what, what is this team? We, you know, we were all caught off guard. It was the following year that we thought, you know, that team was good enough to win. It just, I, I still do not know to this day how Antonio Conte made it work at Chelsea and they somehow pulled what, 94 points out of that season? Uh, Angolo Conte, I think is. Yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Same uh, way Lester did it the year before. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's good. What can you say? Very dude, good. Dude is, dude is sick. Uh, but. I think I think it's it's a it's a big part injury and a part of the turmoil with the tactics that's going on. So we're going to find out sooner rather than later, you know, which one it actually is. Because if if the 
if the tactics get figured out and he's still not good, we got a real problem. Uh, I'm hoping that's not the case, obviously, and there's enough evidence to suggest that he's finally working his way back to being 100%. It's not the worst problem to have, to have a striker with six goals in the Premier League this season who you're calling not good either. I know, right? <laughs> um <laughs> It's just, it's, it's been such a weird start to the season. And this is just one of many topics. So yeah. we just get used to it at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not ideal, but like Adam said, it, it's nice to have that problem um, for sure. But, you know, before we wrap or as we wrap things up, I guess you say, you could say here real quick, you know, any predictions, um, thoughts on playing Everton this weekend, uh, thoughts on the match in general that, uh, you want to put out there, Sean? So, starting starting eleven wise, um, obviously Gazaniga is going to start in uh, in net because Hugo's elbow exploded. Uh, but Gazaniga was fantastic against Liverpool, made eleven saves, and he had no business making a couple of them. Like that that match could have gotten way out of hand, and he he made just an incredible performance. So expect him in net. Uh, obviously Danny Rose is suspended, so Ben Davis will be on the left. Uh, I would probably expect, uh, Toby and Sanchez to start. I think Jan is, um, I think Jan's kind of banished for the time being, but that, that could change. Uh, on the right, roll a dice. Um, Kyle Walker Peters is not been seen or heard from. Uh, it may end up having to be REA. Uh, the midfield is where I'm going to be real interested because I, I don't think I can handle another match of Sissoko and Winks. So we could uh, no. Yeah, well, the thing is that Everton's midfield talent-wise is actually one of the better parts of the team. So yeah, you know, Andre Gomez and Fabian Dell for accomplished players. Yeah, and and if you guys get Sissoko and Winks, um, again, you're going to watch every Winks match is the same. It is, he, he's basically doing the safe passes out to the sides and then he will try one or two progressive passes. He'll either turn the ball over or it'll get intercepted and then he will never pass forward again. So, so, so this is really the bizarro Tom Davies. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, that's, well, that's, that's scary. That's scarily accurate. Uh, so I'm, I'm expecting Sissoko and Adambale in midfield. Uh, and then we will probably see um, Delhi, Sun. I'll say Lucas because Lamella's um dealing with a minor injury. He, I think he hurt his thigh. Uh, it's entirely possible we could see Erickson. I hope we don't, but I, I'll say Delhi, Sun, Lucas with Kane up top. Uh, it'll be four two three one or four three three. Uh, I'm not sure which. Uh, I hope to God it's not the diamond because. There's not enough liquor in the world for me now to see the diamond. Uh, as for predictions, I'll I'll say Spurs get off get off the slide here, and uh, That's a actually, smart choice. yeah, yeah, um, that I'll I'll say that they actually get get their their first away win in what feels like 18 years. Um, you know, it's been God, it's been almost almost 11 months. That's terrifying. That's a long time, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so the last thing before we let you go, have you have you watched Everton at all this season? I have. Uh, I'm so sorry. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do like your guys' midfield. As, as, like you said, I think your midfield's great. I just, I never would have thought that, that it's much thing like Spurs. Like, I never would have thought they would have been, you know, near the relegation zone at this point. Um, I don't know what the world, the problem is because it doesn't seem like tactically you're doing anything terribly different than what Silva was doing at the end of last season. See, but yes, that is true. But it works a lot better against United and Chelsea and Arsenal, who we happen to all play at the end of last season, than it yeah. does against Burnley. You it cannot also, press Burnley. It also <laughs> it also works a lot better when Idrissa Ganagay is in your midfield. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Come on. And apparently, and apparently, not. Uh, I'm not trying to drive the the stake through the heart here, but uh, apparently, PSG, he's uh, he's killing it for him. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the the uh, the least surprised group of people on the face of the planet that he's gone to a club like that and been as good as he's been are Everton fans. I mean, yeah. uh, you will nary find uh, an Evertonian who will say a bad thing about him. Yeah, what I was mean, the... we we tried to tell everyone, look, he's going to be good at PSG. He was one of the best players in the Premier League for three straight years. So, what well, what was his transfer fee to PSG? Not that uh, much. Uh, it was, uh, I'll, I'll it I think, while Adam looks it up, I want to say it was high 20s, low 30s. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's what you get for a guy whose stats aren't quantifiable, or whose contributions aren't quantifiable via stats and who is old. Not old. old. Right, because he's, he's what, he's 30 years old now, right? He's 29, 28, something like that. So close, he yeah. Turned, he just turned 30 last month. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Uh, and it looks like transfer fee was around $30 million. Yeah. Which, I mean, with the way that the transfer market operates in terms of how players are evaluated at what position they're at and, and the age that he is, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is not surprising. Um, but he's obviously, you know, in a vacuum if we're quantifying – value of a player for, you know, one or two seasons, you know, for a year that PSG is obviously going to hope is the year that they can break through in the Champions League. Uh, he could theoretically be worth, I don't know, however much a Champions League title is worth to you in theory. Right. I mean, I get it. I get it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, not – Great times for either of our teams, and this match will, you know, hopefully be an opportunity for one of us to get off um, and, you know, kind of figure things out a little bit, get a tiny bit of confidence. Adam and Chris, before we go, any predictions, thoughts on this match uh, that we haven't talked about? Um, I I don't uh, I don't really feel as good about playing top six talent teams. As I did late last year, I just don't think that Everton have gotten into the the groove that Marco Silva presumably wants him to be in. And, you know, we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, next week after the match. But it looks like Mason Holgate is going to have to start this game, and that involves marking Harry Kane and Hungman's son. And, well, I'll let Adam finish that thought. You can do the math. <laughs> uh, I mean, do I do I have to finish the thought? Does anyone not know what I'm going to say? Uh, I, this, this feels to me, just because Everton is Everton, this feels like one, uh, where we come out and, and kind of stumble forward into a draw in, in part because that's just 
kind of how Everton has operated in matches like these over the course of the last calendar year or so, and, and certainly in part because uh, Spurs are not playing uh, great right now, but we'll still definitely, you know, look to, to play on the front foot and we won't get a, a Burnley-style deep bunker. And, and we've still seen, you know, some success in attack against teams that are willing to play open. You know, we talked about with Brighton, who played a little more openly than we expected, and Everton puts up two goals. We've seen them able to to create chances. So I, I think Everton probably finds a goal or two in this game, but I think that you know, we've been prone to one or two real dumb defensive mishaps, and I think it'll all probably come out to about a wash in the end. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I see, you know, us definitely giving up a couple goals. I think Everton can get a couple goals as well. I think I, in the prediction league, I think I picked a 2-2 draw just because I think it might be a decent amount of scoring this one. Um, but we will see. We will see how it all plays out. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me as always, guys. Of course, of course. Chris and Adam, as always, thank you guys for joining. Um, and, you know, we'll look forward hopefully to, for our sake, uh, hopefully maybe a good Everton result. For Sean's sake, maybe that not, maybe not so much there, but, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to you guys next week all about it. All right. Later.